The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and news. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're live in studio broadcasting yet another show, and if you're in traffic, just kick those shoes off and relax because we have a great one planned for you tonight. We have City of Miami Commissioner Francis Suarez. He is the vice chair of the Metropolitan Planning Organization. Miami's MPO is the foremost and uh, I would say the uh, last word in public transit in Miami. It is a federally established board and he's going to come on to discuss the new transit plan for Miami to add six light rail lines. The light rail lines that we actually voted to build back in the year 2000 and we've also got calling in from the distant future literally calling in from tomorrow morning uh, <laughs> he's in new zealand on a field trip his name is don Feschi. Uh don is running for florida senate in district 38 there's been a lot of happenings and we're going to discuss that and a whole lot more at the end of the program with juan cuba the executive director of the miami-dade democratic party who came in a little bit earlier and recorded a wonderful segment about the Orlando shooting, about the Florida Senate, about a lot of the things that have been happening in Florida politics and in local politics over the last couple of weeks. This is the part of the show, though, where I have a couple of minutes to speak directly to you, the listening audience, about issues of importance that affect us throughout Miami and sometimes beyond. And I wanted to discuss tonight... Um, because we are going to discuss the Orlando shooting a little bit later on the program, I wanted to bring up a very competitive Florida Senate race. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio has said for the last year or so that he is quitting the Senate after this election. But just this morning on Salem Radio's Hugh Hewitt show, uh, Marco Rubio called in and he had this to say, about continuing his re-election, uh, picking up a re-election bid uh, for his current seat in the United States Senate for Florida. Does this horror change in any way your resolve not to seek re-election, Senator? Well, you know, um, I haven't even given a thought in that perspective other than to say that I've been deeply impacted by it. And I think when it visits your home state, when it impacts the community you know well, it really gives you pause to think a little bit about 
you know, your service to your country and, and where you can be most useful to your country. We live at a very dramatic moment in our history. I think we're at a key tipping point here moving into the next election, irrespective of who the next president is. I think we're going to face some real foreign policy challenges, given some of the things both of the candidates have outlined. So, um, you know, obviously I haven't thought about it from a political perspective, but it most certainly has impacted my thinking in general about a lot of things. So as Marco Rubio just said, he's gone from absolutely not to undecided. There are five Republican candidates, including the former Miami-Dade County uh, property appraiser and now lieutenant governor who are in the race. Uh, you know, there's also um, two Democratic candidates. And we're going to discuss all of that with Miami-Dade County uh, executive director of the Democratic Party, Juan Cuba, at the end of tonight's broadcast, starting at about 40 minutes after. We've got a wonderful show planned for you tonight, so stay tuned and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Don Festi. Don, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. You're very welcome. You are thank our you. first guest to ever call in from the future. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, it's actually um, Tuesday morning at 11 over here in New Zealand. So uh, tell our audience a little bit about why you're in New Zealand right now, and, uh, and, and then we can start talking about your candidacy for Florida's 38th uh, Senate District. Sure, absolutely. I've been a teacher in Miami-Dade County Public Schools for 25 years, and um, I currently teach hospitality and tourism at Alonzo and Tracy Morning Senior High School. And um, each, each year we do a domestic trip and an international trip, and uh, my sophomores during their sophomore year get to decide where they want to go. So this trip has been a trip that we've been planning for two years wow. and, um, and have had an opportunity to go ahead and, and, and take it. Um, I know you had mentioned the, the incident in Orlando. One of the things that really, really hits home with us is when you go on these international trips, you're paired up with different schools from around the United States. Okay. And right now we're, we're touring with a school from Mississippi and a school from Orlando. And the teacher oh, wow. from Orlando, she and I are actually friends and one of the people that was shot and killed in Orlando was a former student of hers. Oh, my. So it, it, it really hits home, even though we're so far away. Yeah, no kidding. Um, you know, it just tells you what a small world we live in, really. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it, that was a travesty that happened, and it's it's really hard because for me, I have family, friends, fellow teachers, and students are in part of the LGBT community, and um, and to know how devastated the community is, it, it's just unbelievable that it happened, and it, it's terrible that uh, somebody can go out and, and buy a weapon that can kill so many people at one time. So what inspired you in the first place to run for Florida's 38th district Senate seat, which for our audience, it stretches from Miami's Edgewater district of downtown um, all the way north to Aventura and all the way east for the uh, basically all of the Miami beaches. What inspired you to, to take up a candidacy this year? Over the past four years, I've been lobbying on behalf of the United Teachers of Dade and for the PTA, both at my school, at the county level and the state level. And over the past four years, you just see more and more of the legislation that's going on that's taking money away from education, some of the bills that are just hurting our community. And in January, I was up in Tallahassee with some teachers, and we were lobbying on the last day. We tried to visit Frank Artilli's office. And uh, his aide goes, oh, he's not there. He's not going to talk to you. And we knew that he was there. And she stood up. She was really nice. And she goes, look, I don't want to waste your time. He does not care about education. And we're like, but he's going to rep- he represents schools and students, and he's going to vote on educational bills. And she goes, he's going to vote on however the party tells him to vote. And I said, that's unacceptable. You know, you're, you're representing the entire community and the people there. And to go ahead and have your aide be so blatantly out there and say, oh, I'm not going to talk with you, and, but you don't care. It's unacceptable. And there's a lot of people that when they get up to Tallahassee, feel that I guess they have a sense of entitlement and that they're, they're there and they're not there for the people. They're there for alternate reasons. And so that's really what drove me into running. I came back home and I, I talked to my students. I talked to the parents that I that I'm close with about different things that, that are going on as far as legislation and they're like, Well, you know seem to know a lot about what's happening as far as the educational side and then other things. Why don't you try to run for office? So I spoke with my family and I said, you know what, I'm gonna give it a shot because there needs to be more people out there that actually care about our community and that aren't there just for special interests. Well this year is especially competitive in the Senate because every single seat is up for grabs. Um, but is there a particular right. issue outside of the educational realm that you are strongly in favor of or opposed to that our state government has been taking up uh, in the legislature? Yeah, I, I've grown up in Miami since I was 12 years old. Um, I've lived in the, in the community where District 38 is at. Um, and besides education, I, I think everything revolves around the basis of educating not only our students, but our community as well. Um, the gun violence is something that where I've, when I first started teaching, I had um, three of my students when I was teaching elementary school um, involved with gun violence, and two of them when they got into middle school were actually killed. Wow. And so the poverty, the gun violence, um, having an opportunity to go ahead and have people make a fair wage um, is really important. Um, you know, we need to be able to go ahead and provide our children with an upbringing that provides a sense of positiveness so that there's something to look forward to in the future. And so that when they're in school 
and in their communities and when they're going home at night, they're not worried about, you know, having something to eat when they get home. Um, they're not worried about whether they're going to get shot. I had one student who I was really close with when he was in my class in fourth grade and um, his older brother was in my class and he's one of the kids that had gotten shot and killed. And so I would talk to him at night. He would call my house just to see how I was doing. And I'd say, what's going on? And he goes, can you hear the, the bullets, um, the shots? I'm like, no. I said, where are you? And he goes, I'm underneath my bed. And that was wow. something that was going on 20 years ago and goes on today, and it shouldn't be. And so we have to change that. That It is something that is a huge issue. It impacts so many communities, and many of them uh, in South Florida, especially in District 38. Um a lot of the communities in District 38 have suffered through a wave of, of gun violence, and it's actually better today than it used to be, right? Yeah, but, it, you know, I think one of the things is because of media and because of social media, we hear more about it nowadays, and um, and it has gotten better, but it's still the sense where if you're if you're walking down the street or if you're out cutting your grass or you're fixing your car, you shouldn't have to worry about somebody doing a drive-by shooting and, and, and getting killed. There needs to be a sense where we can go ahead and walk in the streets of our community and feel safe. So uh, tell our audience where they can find out a little bit more about your campaign, Don. Uh, they can find you online, right? Yep, I'm on I'm on Facebook. There's a Vote Don Fesky Facebook page. Um, I have a website, Vote Don Fesky, on the web. Um, one of the things with District 38 is that we are the most diverse district, um, not only in Dade County but in in the state of Florida and possibly in the United States. Um, at the school that I teach at at Alonzo Tracy Morning, which sits right in the middle of the district or the northern end of the district, we have students that come from 65 different countries that speak over 15 different languages. Wow. And it's really representative of what District 38 is. You know, you have a very affluent, um, you know, community within District 38, and then you have um, people who are really struggling on a day-to-day -day basis. And so whoever is going to go ahead and represent District 38 needs to look out for the best interests of everyone who lives in the district and not just one um, microcosm of a particular part of that district. And that's, that's, that's the really hard thing to go ahead and juggle and be able to do is to make sure that you incorporate everyone and make sure that everybody's voice is heard. And I think that's one of the things that doesn't happen now is, you know, parties and groups. Oh, it's, it's very difficult for people's voices to be heard. Um, when we're here and our legislature is 500 miles away. So it puts extra burden right. on whoever sits in that seat to spend time out in the district um, speaking with, you know, and the constituents. And that's so critical. Who, yeah, whoever, whoever ends up being the representative of the district, just because you're in Tallahassee doesn't mean your job's over. When you're, when you're not in session in Tallahassee, you have to be um, actively involved in all of the communities to see what's, to see what's going on and to hear the people's needs, not just corporate needs, but the actual people's needs. We've been going around for the last five weeks and canvassing. We've, um, we've met, we've been over to 500 homes and talked face to face with people. And it's an amazing feeling and opportunity to go ahead and, and just spend a little time with people and hear, you know, what's on their mind and what really, uh, what really is bothering them, what's going well for them. Cause it's not always negative things. There's a lot of positive things that are going on in our community. Well, and, Don, um, uh, I think that's critical. One more time, 
Let's share with our audience sure. where they can find you on Twitter, on Facebook, on the internet, and let's spell it for them to make sure that they can check it out once they hop out of that car, get to their destination, <laughs> and uh, you know, so all of our listeners can find out more about your campaign. Absolutely. So it's Don D O N Besky F E S T G E, and I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Vine, Facebook, um, and then the website is boatdonfesky.com. Alrighty. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining us from the future uh, down in <laughs> New Zealand on tonight's program. I really appreciate you calling into the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, and have an amazing day to come. <laughs> absolutely. Have fun down there. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Mama always said we were royalty She even said it's staring in the face of poverty Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind Believe she put it in me Because I live on my dreams I get my fantasies wings One day I'm gonna be king I'm gonna make that woman so proud of her son I know you heard about change It's gonna come One question, will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held high in the air Like a champion Cause I demand the win Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Francis Suarez, City of Miami District uh, District 5 Commissioner, right? District 4. District, District 4. 4. Sorry. Francis, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. Thanks, Grant. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be on with you. Oh, it's it's taken a lot of work, and I appreciate you sticking with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell Thanks. our audience a little bit about your role at the MPO, the Metropolitan Planning Organization. Well, initially, I was simply named as the city of Miami's representative to the MPO. The city gets, uh, because we're a large population city, we get one member on the MPO. And I was named on the MPO. And after uh, being on that board for several years, I quickly realized that it wasn't really functioning and it wasn't really delivering uh, what people were expecting, which was uh, true uh, mass and transit, rapid transit. So um, for some well, reason, yeah, they, I mean, in other cities, when when you have a mass transit system, it's not like you just have one train. You have a system right. of trains and you get out and you walk around and then there's one train. It leads you to the next. You connect. You know, you, you take two or three trains or a train and a bus and then you get somewhere. So for, fortuitously, um, I think through sort of circumstances, because they tried to name my other colleague who had been named by the governor to be the vice chair. And, and there was a sort of a mini revolt because that person was not going to be able to serve out the term. I was sort of fortuitously named the vice chair of the MPO. And my first order of business as vice chair was essentially to propose that the MPO be blown up 
in its current form and be sort of consolidated into a something similar to what happened with Jackson, where the full massive board was made into a, a small, nimble recovery board, because I felt that it, it simply was had become too parochial, and we were just fighting over who was going to go first, and, and ultimately, the only thing that we were good at is paralyzing progress. And so, well, we've uh, been you extremely know, good at that. I mean, we're talking talent, yeah. like real talent. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, so I, I mean, mean, I mean, it, they, they tried. You know, we proposed Baylink. The city's part of Baylink, uh, the streetcar, and and all the different parochial uh, parts of the county ganged up to stop me from succeeding in that venture. And so, you know, what what I what I realized was that the, that the MPO just really needed to be reformed. And thankfully, my my effort to to do that, which was uh, crystallize in a letter to the editor to the Miami Herald, um, created, uh, you know, sort of got everybody moving. And the chairman uh, then designated two committees, uh, which happened to be the same size as the uh, the proposal that I had advanced to make the MPO a seven-member board, just like the uh, Jackson Recovery Board. And so since that happened, it's created a tremendous amount of momentum where the MPO has finally stopped being a rubber stamp for these transit agencies and has started to build and, and promulgate a vision, which we now hope will uh, result in concrete action to, to create a comprehensive mass transit system in Dade County. Well, I'm, I'm reading the op-ed. It was from March, and it's called Transits. Uh, traffic is a mess. Traffic's a mess. We need leadership. So, right. uh, I mean, you know, we're going to skip the problems with the MPO and let's move on to the future of sure. what can we sure. do with transit in Miami. There was a big announcement uh, that we're going to pick up on the the six metro lines uh, right. or six rail lines that were originally planned uh, during the People's Transportation pro Program, right? The PTP. Right, the PTP, right. Yeah, we'll, we'll dump that acronym, but... Uh, right, 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 right. <laughs> Uh, so now it's going to be the smart happened. plan. No, it did not happen. Right. Uh, it would be much smarter to make it happen. So, so yeah, no doubt. So, how are we going to make this happen? How how do we get some transit so let, in Miami? Let, let's start by you know once the the MPO was reformed internally, um, we started actually doing something smart, which is we actually started visiting other uh, cities across the United States that were that were uh, embarking on billions and billions of dollars of mass transit projects to see what were they doing right and what were we doing wrong. Well, we very quickly learned that the biggest mistake we were making was that we were not coherent about our vision. Okay. And so I, I proposed in February a resolution that was passed unanimously making rapid transit the highest priority. Now, okay. that, that, you know, people it's, may it not doesn't sound like a lot, but I get it because but, there's a me, lot of different kinds of transit. There's there's well, let, bus me, let me let me explain to you why it is a yeah, lot yeah, and why it's significant. Yeah. If we're if we're talking out of different sides of our mouth and we're not talking as a unified board, then what was what we current we would be consistently getting from FDOT and U.S. Department of Transportation okay. and MDX and all these other transit agencies was more roads. That's all we were getting. So and and, and then we've got plenty of those. Exactly. And they would hear sporadically from different members or members that were more motivated or members that were more vocal that tra rapid transit was really what people wanted. But without a formal expression from the board, you know, as we all know, bureaucrats want to CYA and I'm not going to get into what those acronyms mean. You can but, Google but, that. But a, lot, <laughs> but a lot of times, you know, these agencies don't want to do anything without, you know, without a, a formal expression of, of intent. 
And okay. so what we did in February was we created that formal, impre- uh, uh, you know, intent statement, which passed unanimously, by the way. So now they could no longer say that we were divided. They could okay, no longer good. say that we were not speaking out of the same, you know, from with the same voice. The, the next step was to, to make that sort of public policy statement into a vision statement. And so what we did was we looked at the PTP plan as well, you know, as well as a variety of others. And we said, look, we're not going to be able to do eight lines at once, which was the original PTP plan. We actually had proposed four, which kind of grew to six um, in the, the, you know, the legislative sausage making process. And we, you know, coming back from San Francisco, which has the BART, which is the Bay Area Rapid Transit Plan, you know, I, along with some of my colleagues thought, well, wouldn't it be smart to rebrand our, you know, our transit system as a strategic Miami area rapid transit system as a smart plan? So, you know, we think that transit in part is obviously having a semblance of connectivity, which we don't have. And second part it's, it's, we're Miami. You know, we, we have a tendency to watch teams when they're winning and not watch teams when they're not. Okay. And so, you know, branding is a big part of, you know, making our transit system something that people actually want to ride, aside from it being a connected system. Uh, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a very short break and we're going to come back and we're gonna, going to discuss the six corridors that the MPO settled on. We're speaking with Francis Suarez. Francis, thanks for joining us. We'll take one thanks short break. Me. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and news. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Francis Suarez. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, Francis. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I, I know we had a little false start earlier this week when we tried to pre-record, but... Uh, it's it's great to be here live, which is even better. So even fantastic. better, and you know even we do, we do have listeners out there. They may <laughs> want to give us a call, ask a question. We've got about another sure. ten minutes, so three zero five five four one two three five zero. That is the call in number. We'd love to see a couple of phone calls if you're listening out there. Three zero five five four one two three five zero. So Francis, let's talk about the six lines that are, are the smart plan. Strategic so originally, area yes. rapid transit. So originally, the four that we were going to initially propose was what they can, you know, uh, call the North Corridor, which was a corridor that was originally planned to be an expansion of Metrorail along 27th right. Avenue from the Metrorail station to uh, Sun Life Stadium. That's the North okay. Corridor. 
Then we have the South Corridor, which goes from Dayland, essentially down the, the uh, US-1 busway up to 167. That's the South Corridor. Okay. We had the West Corridor, which was going to be either um, the CSX line, which we were not able to acquire in the last legislative session, or potentially uh, being uh, built on the 836 going east to west, which would connect FIU, Sweetwater, Doral, uh, the airport, and downtown. The, the, the downtown to airport link, which is the orange line, was, was recently built at, a, at an extremely high cost. Uh, About a half a billion dollars, dollars yeah. Yeah, it was a half a billion dollar total cost, and I think it was like $100 million a mile, which just explains or just shows how, how, inexper- how, how impractical it is to build what they call heavy rail, which is basically metro rail because of the expense. Right. So, so we did. So that's the, that's, that's the west to east route. And then, and then, of course, the famous Bay Link, which would connect downtown to, to Miami Beach and uh, along you know, the, the MacArthur coming back on the Arthur Godfrey. And then the two additional lines were the FEC uh, East Coast uh, Coastal Line, which is an already laid track um, that FEC owns. And, and so that would be run either through Tri-Rail, um, which we just got the Tri-Rail linkage connecting to the All Aboard Station, which is being built right now. Um, or uh, it would be, you know, some combination of the county or FEC itself. Okay. And then, and, and then the last one is Kendall, which would be from the Dayland Station up Kendall Drive, to about 162. So this Those would be the six. first time that <clears throat> places like West Kendall, places like Sweetwater or FIU or Doral yep. uh, or, or Sun Life Stadium or Aventura yep. actually see a rapid transit line. Exactly. And so, you know, what we're looking at is light rail um, or what they call GRT. We recently came from Houston. And what Houston did was interesting. Uh, they didn't have all the money uh, right away. So what they did was they laid track on all the lines okay. and they started running BRT in the short run while they applied for federal funds for the trains in the long run. And okay. so little by little, as they got federal funding and as they got more local funding, they were able to activate the different lines where the BRT was being highly ridden. And so they had ridership numbers for those lines and it was very easy to pick, you know, quarter by quarter, which were the ones that had the most ridership and activate them, you know, one by one. But, but the key is you have to lay the track first because I think there's a lot of suspicion in our community that, or, you know, that there's going to be some sort of a bait and switch. You know, that we really say we're going to do rapid transit, but, you know, we're kind of, that's kind of a predicate to just doing bus rapid transit. And, uh, I, you know, that's certainly, from my perspective, not going to be good enough for our community. It's not what the people voted for when they voted, the, you know, when they voted to, to expand transit with a half cent. And I think we need to uh, do better for our community um, if we're going to connect them in a way that they're going to want to ride. So <clears throat> let's, uh, I, I mean, I think that everybody in Miami wants a solution to traffic and transit is, is the best one. But let's sure. pivot for a second and let's talk about the city of Miami because you've recently announced that you are going going to run for mayor in 2017. Yeah. Yes. So uh, you've been uh, a city commissioner for seven years now, right? Yep, since 2009, November. And uh, tell our audience a little bit about your plan if elected as city of Miami mayor, because you're not looking to just get elected to the same position right. that exists today. So what is That's what right. is your goal? Well, I, I proposed uh, previously when I was a city commissioner, a strong mayor initiative, 
which would change the system of government to a system of government where the mayor has um, administrative powers. Right now, we currently have a system of government where our most powerful person is an unelected uh, administrator. And that creates all kinds of problems because, number one, that person doesn't know who his boss is. Um, you know, he has to work not only for the mayor, but for all five commissioners that can fire him at any given moment. Right. Uh, number, number two, it's just proven to be uh, very ineffective. We've had uh, five city managers in the six years that I've been a commissioner, the seven years that I've been a commissioner. So we've had almost a manager a year, you know, and since the inception of this hybrid system, we've had more managers in the Dolphins. I've had starting quarterbacks since Dan Marino. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really proven to be a very <laughs> close, unclose. Un- <laughs> yeah, we're close. We're close. We're, it's proven to be a very unstable system. You know, the highest ranking person is not an elected official, not accountable to the people. And I think what people expect when they see their mayor is somebody that can get things done. And if he doesn't get things or she doesn't get things done, you know, then, then they want to be able to hold that person accountable like the, the citizens did, you know, with the county mayoral system where they recalled their mayor almost 90% to 10. So what, what I like well, about I mean, can is can that, a mayor in the city of Miami be recalled? I don't know if they can. I'm not even I'm not even sure that they can under the current system. So we have really sort of a wacky system you know well, our current system was designed originally to be <clears throat> a strong mayor system and then manny right. diaz was put into office and the commission stripped him of all power well i don't know the history of it but i can tell you that the, the, the you know the articles that we've read uh sort of suggest mm-hmm. that what your version is, is 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 true that that um you know the citizens thought they were getting a strong mayor and instead they got some sort of um you know bait and switch where they ended up getting this hybrid system that is, is not even better than the prior system of government, which was with the mayor uh, sitting on as the, uh, as the chairman of the city commission with a vote. So in this, in this particular system of government, the mayor um, doesn't have a vote, can name a chairman, which is usually a city commissioner, so he doesn't even have that power, can veto legislation that the commission can override, and names a manager subject to the commission's approval or subject to the commission firing that person. Right. And we've had many instances of you know, sort of a constitutional crisis where the mayor wants the manager, but the commission doesn't or vice versa. And uh, it just it just ma- makes for messy government, unaccountable government government. And all the public opinion polls I've seen um, show that it's a very popular reform. And, and that's just one very, very small component of what I think uh, Miami needs to be successful going forward. Well, I, I agree that it's an unusual system of government because people usually think that they're electing somebody to do a job not electing somebody to pick somebody else to do a job. Exactly. That's a great way of putting it. That's a great way of putting it. <laughs> so, so it is highly unusual. So we've got about one minute left. Is there something going on at the city of Miami that you'd like to tell our audience about, Francis? Well, you know, just to sort of dovetail on what my vision is uh, for the future of the city, if I'm elected city mayor, it really, it really involves three components. The first is protecting and enhancing our brand. The second is improving our quality of life. We have a beautiful, robust residential community close to a metropolis, and we have to protect it zealously. You know, and lastly, we have an incredible income disparity in our city. We're a tale of two cities, a city of haves and have-nots, and we have to do a better job of bringing in new industries like the tech industry to to really take hold. And it's sort of happening already, but as a government, you know, we have to do our part to accelerate that so that uh, our kids, no matter where they grow up in our city, are going to have... Uh, a wonderful opportunity to compete in tomorrow's economy. And that's what I think our mayor should be focused on. Well, Francis, I I really appreciate you joining us on the program tonight. 
And um, I'll be here anytime you need me. I wanted to ask you one quick question because this is a question that's burning on my mind. Maybe not everybody in Miami, but people who are in the know. And you can give sure. me a, a quick answer because uh, sure. we've only got a very short amount of time left. Uh, sure. CRAs, the community redevelopment yes. agencies, extend yes. them or sunset them? What, which do you prefer? You don't have to explain it. Just sunset or extend? I, I, I think if you can extend them, getting affordable housing, you strongly consider it. So if it's only for affordable housing? Then only affordable them. housing. Only for affordable housing. All righty. Which is a crisis in our community. Francis Suarez, City of Miami Commissioner, thank you so much for joining us on the program. And we'll oh, have you back you, soon Grant, in for studio. for the privilege of being on the show. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and news. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back in studio with Juan Cuba. He's the executive director of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party. Juan, thank you so much for joining us in studio today. Glad to be here. So let's cut right to it. There was a terrible tragedy that happened in Orlando, Florida yesterday. 50 uh, men and women were killed in the Pulse Gay Nightclub. It's a terrible blow to the LGBT community. Um, wh what is our Democratic Party's official response to this terrible tragedy, which occurred yesterday, just a couple hundred miles north of here? Yeah, well, Grant, you know, this is, um, I'm almost at a loss for words for what happened, um, what happened in this weekend. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, and it's, I feel like it, it, it's one that could have been prevented had we taken action. Um, you know, it was a hate crime against our LGBTQ community. Um, there was, um, you know, it's just, just at a loss for words, honestly. Um, but, you know, again, uh, our thoughts and prayers are not enough anymore because this is not, you know, this is the... I don't know how many times since since uh, since Sandy Hook uh, that we've had to go over mass shootings, over mass shootings, over mass shootings, and and I think people are just tired of trying to process this again and, and again and again. And we have to do something, Grant. And like we need to, 
you know, this is someone who was on the terrorist watch list, but the still I knew about him. FBI knew about him, but still was able to get a, a, a assault rifle. Uh, pretty well, not easily. just purchase an AR-15, but he purchased it without being like flagged for another investigation. I mean, wouldn't you think that would just be standard stuff if you were a cop to say, well, somebody is suspicious, and then they go purchase a heavy-duty military-style firearm? Um, shouldn't there be another investigation? I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, these are just common sense. No one's trying to take away everyone's guns. No one's... This is common sense stuff. It's like assault rifles are not for protection. They're not for hunting. They're for killing people. They're, the background checks should be universal background checks. Uh, you shouldn't let people that are on terrorist watch lists be able to purchase any kind of weapon. This is not, uh, this is common sense stuff that was blocked in Congress. We had a major push after Sandy Hook. And it was blocked. The NRA has bought politician after politician the majority of them are republican party and i'm sure there are some democrats who've been bought by them too and all of those people are somewhat responsible they're political cowards and they should own up to it well there was 41 republican senators yeah. after sandy hook yeah who banded together to stop common sense gun reform so in light of that let's just talk about um the electoral map because yeah. You know, yep. there's a Senate race going on in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's touch on that briefly for our audience, and let's talk about uh, the implications of who will fill Marco Rubio's presumably vacant seat. <laughs> right, right now, there's a rumor that uh, he might he might want to run again. But look, we have a, a, few, a few Democrats uh, running in the in the U.S. Senate race. Um, you know, I'm going to start with one that's not as mentioned as much. Her name is Pam Keith. You know, okay. a really uh, great African-American woman, lawyer, great speaker. Uh, she's very talented, doesn't get enough media. So you should have her on your show, Grant, if you we'll haven't have had her already. Her on. Sure. Uh, then we have Alan Grayson, a congressman from Orlando. Very uh, exciting personality. <laughs> very eccentric, absolutely. I said exciting. Okay. <laughs> He's got a great, great taste in shirts. You said eccentric with your eyes. All right. Um and we, uh, of course, Patrick Murphy, who's uh, currently the front runner, uh, has been endorsed, I believe, by both President Obama and Vice President Biden. And so a lot of people are coalescing behind him. Uh, he's polling better right now uh, than the other two against uh, uh, a generic Republican who might come out of this. So we'll, we'll, well there's see. There's five generic Republicans <laughs> competing for uh, the, the GOP nomination. Yeah. Um, is, th- is there really any motion? Because I, I heard that. Uh, Ron DeSantis might drop out of the race, which would be kind of a big deal. Um, yeah. Jumping races is always kind of a indication that maybe you don't feel so strong in the race. <laughs> <you're> in. <laughs> um, and and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, because if you're weak in the race that you're you're in already, are you going to be stronger in the next race if you have less time uh, to pursue the campaign? I'm not sure. Have you heard this rumor that DeSantis will drop out and then challenge uh, Charlie Crist, um, the the last Democratic? Nominee for governor? You know, I uh, I haven't heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised, uh, honestly. Um, you know, this is a very complicated uh, race on the Republican side. Not only do you have the rumors that Marco Rubio is thinking about uh, running for that seat again, but you have a, a lot of strong contenders. You have a, a Trumpish candidate in Carlos Baruch, who's a self-funded, 
multimillionaire that's running for that for that Senate seat. I mean, a you, Trumpery candidate. A tr- yeah, you yes. have uh, you have Carlos Lopez Cantera, the current the current uh, lieutenant governor and uh, former Miami Dade County property appraiser. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's a pretty big. Uh, you know, career arc to go from property <laughs> appraiser to lieutenant governor, <laughs> then to senator in like about three years. You hear that, Pedro it, Garcia? That's uh, <laughs> yeah, Pedro. <laughs> Pedro's starting to get excited. <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I'm not sure what uh, DeSantis will do, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, what uh, what I've been told is that Rubio is close friends with Carlos uh, Lopez uh, Catera, and. Um, that he's staying out of the race for that reason, basically. Who knows? Yeah, you know, you never know in politics. That's what I hear too. And uh, isn't the deadline like uh, two weeks from now? Yep, uh, it is actually. Yeah, it's a week and a half. Well, on June twenty fourth. Deadlines and races. Let's uh, turn our eyes to the Florida Senate, the state yep. legislative body, mm-hmm. because um, there's been a couple of headlines I heard lately. <laughs> uh, something like you were quoted in an article about some Florida senator. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so uh, recently, uh, Senator Margolis um, announced her retirement uh, from the state Senate. She's had a and, and a Senator very Margolis is the longest serving woman in longest the, ser- the whole state right th- now. Yeah, I think the longest serving senator in the Senate chamber. I think she was the first woman to ever uh, be Senate leader of a Senate chamber in the entire country. Uh, she's had a distinguished forty year career that unfortunately came to a screeching halt um, with some comments she made at uh, Sunny Isles Democratic uh, Club meeting uh, where she made some, you, some would say, disparaging remarks um, towards, toward her her, opponents. toward her opponents. Uh, and it, you know, put her in some hot water. And some of those remarks were uh, toward, um, or, you know, Daphne Campbell, Philip Brutus, Anise Bloomer, who are all Haitian. And in the um, interest of full disclosure, Mr. Blummer is a, a former client. Um, you know, he applied for a loan with me, did not accept the loan we offered. Um, he's a very, very nice gentleman. Um, he was always very ethical in uh, the business dealings that I saw. Mm-hmm. And um, he's not my only client of Haitian descent. And he, when I spoke to him, he was very, very upset yeah. about um, well, the you whole know. incident. I mean, not just, he, you know, some people might celebrate, but he wasn't celebratory. He was very upset that... Um, here in 2016, even from our own party, right? Uh, we're hearing some. So, um, like so you know, but um, I think uh, she, she, I think she did the right thing ultimately. She uh, and and now we have a very interesting dynamic. Now we have an open seat where a lot of people were, um, you know, didn't want to challenge uh, Senator Margolis. We currently have five, re- you know, five candidates in this race. Five like quality the, Democratic candidates. Five quality. Democratic candidates, besides the three I mentioned, um, you know, Daphne Campbell is a, a sitting state representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip Brutus was the first uh, Haitian American ever elected to the the House of Representatives, the Florida House of Representatives. Anise Bloomer, he's like a, you CPA said, a CPA, he's very qualified, smart. You have Don Fesky, who's a, a teacher uh, for many many years, has really great stories about uh, building people up, and you have uh, Jason Pizzo, who is an attorney. Uh, worked several years in the state attorney's office uh, prosecuting cases all over North Dade. Uh, and he's got, you know, he's self-financing his race. So, Right. So we've got five candidates in uh, the brand-new District 38, which is a very key Florida State Senate mm-hmm. seat 
Um, people consider it a Democratic seat. There's something like uh, 60% registered Democrats and 24% reg registered Republicans in the district, right? Yeah, it's overwhelmingly Democratic seat. I'd be surprised if a Republican jumps into this race. Um, and for our listening audience, it covers the area from uh, Edgewater, just north of downtown Miami, mm -hmm. uh, all the way up to Aventura, right? That's right. And then from some, some western boundary, yeah, uh, maybe 95, something like that, all the way over to the beaches. So it's like all of the beaches in the Upper East Side of Miami, really. Yeah, you know, it's a int very interesting district. I'd say like it's, it's two very distinct realities in that district. You have the, the very, very wealthy uh, people that live along the shore, and you have the very, very poor uh, that live uh, further west. So it's it's a very uh, di diverse district, not just uh, you know economic, socioeconomically, but uh, demographically. You have a big Haitian population, a big African American population, Jewish I, population. I've heard it's about a quarter uh, Haitian, maybe ten percent African American or more. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen the numbers, uh, Grant, but I think it, there might be more African Americans uh, in that district well, than Haitians. Yeah, it's it's um, you know, it's it's a very high profile district. Absolutely. And um, for that reason, I've heard that there's a couple of candidates they're thinking about jumping in the race. <laughs> well, you know, these are all rumors I, uh, until someone says uh, they're in or not. Um, well, Ladra is starting rumors, so. <laughs> this is nothing new. She, she, uh, Lane Del Valle writes Political Cortadito. She's been on the program here with us uh, many a time, and uh, she's even published a couple of my stories here and there. Um, so what, what are the rumors right now? Um, sure. So, I mean, like, there's, there's folks, um, you know, I think I read her story. Uh, she said uh, Andrew Kors is currently running in Senate District 39 against Anita Flores, is thinking about jumping into this race. She had written that David Richardson was thinking about it, but he just released a statement today. Yeah, that's saying Florida he Representative David Richardson. That's right. Um, uh, but, but he's set to be the minority leader, right? Yeah, he's actually uh, trying to be a minority leader. In the, the Florida uh, House of Representatives. In the Florida House uh, for the Democratic Party. So uh, he uh, released a statement today saying he wasn't uh, running. But and I think there might be a few others. Uh, we, we, you know, we're not sure until... Until until they actually say something publicly. So. Until the June twenty first deadline, twenty fourth deadline. Yeah, Friday, June twenty fourth is the deadline to qualify. They have until noon that day to decide. So okay. uh, I know there's a few other like local elected officials also thinking about it. So we'll see. It's a very interesting dynamic. You know, it's a very interesting race, and we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's complicated. Well, I mean, it seems to me like it's very important to spread our bets out as a party. And I say our, I'm a member of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party. Yep. I'm, a, uh, I'm a, a founding member of the downtown Dems. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having a candidate running in District 39 is very strategically important because it seems like a seat that a Democrat yeah. could win just by the numbers and demographics of the district. Absolutely. Look, it's it's a seat that Obama uh, won in 2012. Uh, if you look at if you look you at know, the new district's numbers based on that's right. The old that's right. This is a Democrat. Sure. This is a district that leans Democrat. And right now it's being held by Republican Anita Flores, who is uh, a very dangerous uh, Republican. She's she's very vehemently uh, anti-choice. Um, she's, you know, has she's pro fracking. She's pro-fracking, you know, she, she'll vote with the Republican Party down party lines on, on a lot of issues. So, Well, she's uh, one of the politicians that allowed our waterways to get fouled, our clean drinking water to be imperiled, 
Um, she's she's voted with FPL time and time again. And, um, and Turkey Point is inside of her district. That's so right. She's trying it, to pivot now because she's has she has a challenge uh, from from Andrew Korge. Uh, a strong challenge from Mr. Strong Korge. challenge. Look, Andrew's been raising a lot of money, uh, and I've been giving Anitere a run for her money, but. You know, people have been, Republican leadership have been trying to protect her over and over because uh, they need her. She's a Hispanic woman. They give her a lot of legitimacy within the community. And and uh, uh, the incoming Senate leader, Negron, has been doing whatever he can. They cut a deal about uh, four or five months ago that, that thankfully went nowhere. But the deal was to try to protect Anitere. It was cut with uh, the uh, incoming uh, uh, Democratic leader, uh, Oscar Brainin. And... Uh, to try to protect her uh, and have Anitere run in one seat, Senator Dwight Bullard uh, run in another seat, but then it all fell apart. But, you know, those deals, we shouldn't be cutting those deals. And we should we should really be giving all the Republicans serious, serious challenges. And that's the one thing that worries me, Grant. You're right. I think we should be giving um, every single Republican a challenge. And, uh, and we can't let someone like as dangerous as Senator Flores have a pass. I agree. And, um, you know, just for our audience, uh, maybe who hasn't heard about this, let's spend our last minute here and just recap. Why is the Florida Senate so strategically important this year? Yeah. As opposed to any other year. Yeah. So we passed uh, this, this uh, constitutional amendment called Fair Districts. Uh, and the Fair Districts. 2010. Dis- yeah, exactly. And the Fair Districts was supposed to. Um, make sure that when we redistricted, like we do every census year, and create, draw new lines for state senate, state house, Congress, whatever, that it would be done without what what people call gerrymandering, without any type of political uh, motivation to to draw these lines. And well, unfortunately, gerrymandering denotes these squiggly lines yeah, exactly. and crazy districts, and sending a politician yeah. who's our represented uh, elected representative hundreds of miles away from home. Um, because you're carving out constituencies yep. to, you know, limit the effect of just normal people voting and having a representative right. that covers normal amount and, of And I mean, and the, the Republicans completely ignored it, even though it passed overwhelmingly by the entire, everyone voted for Democrats, Republicans, Independents, all said, hey, this is a good idea. Let's do fair districts. More than 60%. No, the Republican leadership in the state Senate and the state House, they ignored they ignored it completely. And, and thankfully, a court, a judge, a ruled, Supreme Court judge ruled, that uh, they had to redraw these lines and in favor of the League of Women voters in favor of the League of Women voters who were the plaintiffs over this mm-hmm. long fought, hard fought uh, court battle uh, and they had to redraw all the Senate lines and every single state senator is up for election uh, this year and uh, a lot of the districts are now a little more fair and we will see um, how this um, how this plays out well Juan thank you so much for joining us in the studio tonight can you give our audience some contact information so if they want to follow up, if they want to go out to one of the, the general meetings of the party, which is happening right now, yeah, that's uh, right. they can find out more. It's every second Monday of the month, right? Every second Monday of the month. You can go to MiamiDadeDems.org. You can find us on Twitter, at MiamiDadeDems. You can find me on Twitter, at Juan Cuba. And uh, where are the monthly meetings? They're the second Monday of each Second month. Monday at 7 p.m. Uh, they happen at the AFL-CIO Union Hall, located at 4349 Northwest 36th Street. And one more time, where can our audience reach out and find out more from you, Juan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Juan Cuba. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the program tonight, Juan. I appreciate Thanks, Grant. It. Appreciate it.
And I hope that you've enjoyed all of our guests and all that we've been presenting tonight on the Only in Miami show. I wanted to leave you with an inspirational speaker, somebody who knows a lot about gun control. Uh, He's a Republican. He's very well respected. And he has this to say about why we need gun control in America. And I do not believe in taking away the right of the citizen to own guns for sporting, for hunting and so forth, or for home defense. But I do believe that an AK-47, a machine gun, is not a sporting weapon or needed for defense of a home. Yes, that was Ronald Reagan uh, in 1989, and I agree with him. And we'll be back next Monday night with Raquel Regalado, live in studio. This is the Only in Miami show. is the only in Miami show sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Island. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com.